Hey everyone, I'm back, and this time with a fun topic to talk about for me, I want to talk about Halloween, or as some Christians like to call it these days, Holyween. Enjoy. Growing up in church, Halloween was always a tricky time of year. My family celebrated Halloween, and we did it all. Jack-o'-lanterns, scary costumes, horror houses, trick-or-treating. But there were always hardliners in our church who felt like it was devilish or an evil holiday and that we should avoid it. And then, you know, there's always the conundrum of... (laughs) What will the church do when Halloween rolls around? So pastors then and and now uh, would often compromise by holding, uh, you know, like alternative gatherings for young people uh, and then giving them benign names like uh, Hallelujah Night or Fall Festival. Super safe. Uh, And, you know, they would have sometimes even rules where you had to dress like a Bible character or or something to that effect. Well, this week I heard of a pastor who um, decided that it would be clever to ask his church to call Halloween Holyween. Now, some of you, you're already making the connection. Uh, and for me, this is just example one of why pastors should be required to have at least an above average command of the English language. Perhaps this pastor forgot his King James Version reading of the Lord's Prayer, uh, where it begins with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or holy. Now, fortunately for me, uh, my mom's side of the family, they were from Cornwall in England. And growing up there, my grandparents had long participated in religious traditions associated with uh, All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Day, and All Souls' Day. These are all Christian holidays celebrated by Christians all around the world. All Saints' Day is celebrated on November the 1st, and it's a day that is set aside to remember the dead saints, um, the cloud of witnesses mentioned in the book of Hebrews, those who have went before us, the heroes of the faith, if you will, that have went before us. And on this day, churches, Catholic churches and Episcopal churches will hold communion or masses. Protestant churches are known to hold prayer vigils during this time. Um, Even when I pastored, I I took opportunities uh, at one church I pastored. One year we did, um, uh, on that following Sunday, we did a a moment of just silence, just pausing and remembering our loved ones who had died and went on before us. Ever how it's practiced, it's it's a solemn and a significant day in the yearly life of the church. The day before uh, All Saints Day is October 31st, and that day is referred to as All Hallows' Eve, or one word, All Halloween, (laughs) or Halloween as it became to be known. Now, this evening was marked by prayers for the dead, um, particularly those who might be in purgatory. And there's a lot of legends that started to emerge over, over the centuries. A lot of regional legends emerged. 
uh, over time, such as the belief that on this evening before All Saints Day, that the souls of the saints were free to roam the earth, to walk the earth again as they passed through uh, to be honored on All Saints Day the next day. Um, this is actually has some biblical roots to it. There's a, a version of the resurrection story in which some of the saints were actually resurrected with Jesus. And so this is uh, kind of a, a legend that emerged from, from a combination of things. Many traditions, in fact, practiced on Halloween were borrowed from, you know, paganism. And pagans returned the favor by borrowing some of our traditions. This is, this is the complicated history of Western, Western religion. But the name Halloween itself is from the Christian holiday. And so Holyween is, is really not, not that far off. Based on the reasoning for the holiday, it is safe to say that rather than glorifying death, Halloween is a time that we can celebrate life, remembering the lives of our loved ones and the heroes of the faith, the saints. Pastor Frederick Beekner once said that saints have the scent of God and they leave us the aroma of Christ. In God's flirting with humanity, God occasionally drops a handkerchief, and these handkerchiefs are called saints. Now, this still doesn't deal with the major objection to Halloween by some Christians, and that's not the name itself, but how the holiday is used as a time to glorify horror and evil. Not everyone is into that which is macabre. Not everyone likes horror movies or going to haunted houses. It, it's a preference. I get it. I've met people who love horror movies. I've met people who hate horror movies. I fall somewhere in the middle. I like to watch them if I'm in the mood. I really like the 80s classical kind of horror films. Um, and I like Stranger Things. So, you know, but it's not, I'm not like a fan. Like some people are really, really into horror. Um, and I'm not, but I do go through spells where, I will, you know, want to watch horror films or listen to death metal music. You know, those kind of things which we tend to believe glorify evil, you know, very much is just a preference. And sometimes we have it one way or the other. Um, but a lot of people, regardless of whether you are someone who likes that which is macabre or not, you have to admit that a lot of people do, including Christians and they always have. What is appropriate and what glorifies that which is evil is, is a pretty complicated matter. I would agree that some things are not worth exposing ourselves to. And maybe that's my Wesleyan holiness <laughs> um, tradition coming through a bit. But there are some things that are just not worth exposing yourself to. Um, and there are some things that as humans, are just not worth us continuing to promote or tolerate. For instance, in the early 2000s, Steven Spielberg was asked to make a movie about the Columbine mass murder. He declined the offer, stating that he would not give poetry to the events of that day. As far as I know, no dramatic movie has been made about the Columbine shooting since he made that statement. Recently, though, Netflix released a show dramatizing the story of Jeffrey Dahmer. 
Um, I don't know if you've watched this or not. I haven't. I haven't had a chance to, and I'm, I haven't really been in the mood to. Like I said, I. It's not something I, I just want to watch for casual entertainment. But some people do. Um, this show, like I said, I can't really speak to it, but I do know that it has drawn backlash from viewers and families of the victims. Some of my Christian friends, I've seen them decrying it as a show that glorifies evil. Although upon further reading one conversation, I discovered it wasn't the murdering that was so bad. It was, was the homosexuality. Go figure. In one online conversation about this show about Jeffrey Dahmer uh, on Netflix, which um, I believe the name of it is Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. In, in one conversation I, I, I watched online, um, someone asked the question, you know, just kind of pondered, why are we mesmerized by these stories of, of murder and evil? What is it about it that draws us in? Why do we like, as humans, why do we like the macabre? I mean, many movies and stories, even if they're not horror uh, movies or gory movies or anything like that, they still have elements in them um, that are evil or that are wicked or um, that are tragic. And it's often these elements that make the story interesting. It's what pulls us into the drama um, of, of what's being told and what's being played out. That's what makes them interesting. Even if you don't have a preference for horror films, you've, you know, you've sat through movies that have those elements. And even if you haven't done that and you're not interested in horror or gore, I bet you've watched at least one episode of Forensic Files or Law and Order or uh, CSI. All these shows are shows which in some way are depicting evil and tragedy and murder and death um, and, and, and the things that humans do to one another and the things that happen to us as humans, even like natural disaster movies even. These are things in which uh, the, the, the tragedy and the evil of, of the world and, and the natural world um, is put on display. And there's something about all of that that does kind of suck us into these stories, kind of pulls us in. And so this person was reflecting and pondering, why are we sucked into these stories? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that um, one good answer is that we like to encounter evil from a safe distance. You know, we like to watch movies and stories and listen to music uh, that give us a chance to do that. You know, to reflect on evil and its reality, to let it touch our emotions, but not our bodies. Um, we do this with all kinds of art, I think, you know, and we do it with music when we want our emotions to feel a certain thing. Uh, maybe you've, um, you know, for instance, sad, sad songs. I, I'm not a big fan of sad songs, but that's because I don't like to feel sad emotions. That's very much part of my personality. So sad songs don't do it for me, but I've learned from other friends that they listen to sad songs to make themselves cry. They feel like they need a good cry, and so they use the medium of art, the art of music. They listen to something sad, and it pulls them into a mood that they desperately feel that they need to experience. And music gives them a safe way to do that without hurting themselves or hurting anyone else. The music pulls their emotions into this state of sadness, and 
Sometimes that's helpful. Uh, these friends have helped me realize the importance of that. And so now when I go through sad times or when I'm really feeling the the sting of grief in my life, I'm much more open now to putting on something sad and letting it affect me emotionally. So I think that's probably one reason. You know, we like to encounter evil from a safe distance. <clears throat> um, we want to sit on our couch and... Um, and and see things depicted that we know happen in the world to kind of confront them because in the modern world we're just we're protected from so much of that right <clears throat> but not all of that and because we're not protected from all of that we know that evil is a reality of our world and so i think that's probably one reason that we get pulled into those kind of stories it's not that we're glorifying it or that we're enjoying it necessarily. But there is something, some some satisfaction derived from it because we can we can play with it from a distance. Not only from a distance, but when we look at festivals, festivals that uh, celebrate the dead, Christian and pagan, um, a lot of times these festivals are sort of embodied ways that we can laugh at death, that we can laugh at evil, if you will. Uh, to to challenge our minds to perceive it differently, um, to not torment ourselves more than we should be tormented by the realities of this world, which are often very, very stark and bleak and sad and terrible. And then there's you know for those of us who've been through a, been through hell or a certain kind of hell. We might even identify with the story on a level that the casual viewer cannot, and therefore it holds value for us. Um, sometimes that's good and bad. There's there's two sides to that coin. Um, you know, there's 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 a way in which those stories might be triggering, and there's a way in which those stories might help us face the hell that we've been through. I've had the experience myself where I've watched a movie that like a dr- a dramatic movie and it was really intense and just following the the character arc of the of the character the main character of the story I was deeply impacted because it helped me see that I identified with a lot of a lot of their experience. Uh, N.T. Wright, a uh, Christian theologian, Anglican scholar, uh, explores this idea a little bit in, in the opening chapters of his book, Evil and the Justice of God, in which he seeks to answer the question of evil. Uh, and that's a book I highly recommend, Evil and the Justice of God by N.T. Wright. Uh, Christian pastor Frederick Beekner, who I quoted earlier, one of my all-time favorite pastors and writers, he wrote my all-time favorite book on preaching. And uh, that book is entitled Telling the Truth, the Gospel as Tragedy, Comedy, and Fairy Tale. Uh, and that's a book I also highly recommend. In this book, he argues that the Bible itself gives us good news from mediums which we don't expect the good news to come, including tragedies, which the story of Christ's passion itself stands as a, a glaring example. The idea that the Bible or the scriptures would give us good news through mediums which we don't expect shouldn't surprise any of us who've spent any time reading the Bible. 
This seems to be a trend with the God of the Bible. He speaks or reveals the deepest truths or the most hidden realities through the most um, mysterious means at times. Uh, It was once said that the gospel, uh, Will Williman uh, once said, that the gospel itself is, is, is either good news or bad news depending on where you're at when you hear it. Uh, The good news was not great news to the rich young ruler. His face fell when the good news was shared with him because the good news to him was too much to lose. So Beekner explores this in that book and basically says the good news comes through comedies, it comes through fairy tales, and it comes through tragedies. And the scriptures themselves are filled with tragic stories. I mentioned the Passion of Christ, but even predating that, the Jewish scriptures are scriptures filled with tragic stories. And not just the stories of the faith, but Christian tradition itself is filled with the use of symbols like skulls and crossbones, bones, um, church church roofs. Church roofs across the world are adorned with one of the most horrific torture devices in human history, the Roman cross. Catholic churches still have the symbols of the crucifix in their churches, and their priests sometimes wear them around their neck with a man dying on a torture device. And this is considered common practice in the Christian faith. I have a necklace I wear. Uh, you, some of you who know me may have seen it on my neck. It's it's a cross. It's a not a crucifix, just a cross. But it's from Russia, from the 15th century, actually. And it's a 15th century uh, Russian Orthodox uh, cross made of silver. And at the base of the cross, there is engraved a, a skull. Um, a skull and crossbones, like you would... Uh, Uh, see on the Jolly Roger uh, pirate flag. And it's kind of weird because you've got this cross and at the bottom you've got a a Jolly Roger. But the reason it's there, it's engraved there, is because some Russian Orthodox churches at the time, and may still do, uh, believed that Adam was buried under Golgotha, the hill that Jesus died on in, in the gospel stories, that you know, the Adam was buried under there, so his bones were there, still there, and that Christ's blood ran down the cross and onto his skull and therefore uh, redeemed humanity from the curses of sin and death. I bring up all these examples just to say that horror, evil, and tragedy are part of the human experience and they're part of the biblical story, and they're part of the tradition of the church. And, you know, partaking in horror movies or haunted houses may just be additional ways that we as humans, modern humans especially, explore and deal with that grim reality. You know, we aren't writing apocalyptic poetry, but we're watching horror films. Maybe it's all part of the same pursuit. All in all, I just wanted to make this podcast because I always find it funny that Halloween is such a hot topic for so many Christians. Um, it's just never really felt like that big of a deal to me. <laughs> when you when you look at the history of the church and the history of our holidays, 
And everybody wants to argue over this, right? Everybody wants to claim their holiday was first. The pagans won it first. The Christians won it first. If you're honest, it's a complicated history. There was a lot of borrowing and a lot of trading. And it just wasn't as cut and dry. It never is as cut and dry as the church would like to make it. In fact, many people that were considered pagans by the church um, might have actually been themselves believing, practicing Christians, just not in the same way that the church wanted it done. That's something to really think about because uh, that still goes on. I tell people all the time, I'm still a Christian, but I don't think most churches would consider me a Christian. And that's been going on for centuries, not just with individuals, but with groups and with subgroups and with cultic traditions. Um, it's just, it's a complicated history. So yes, there's some pagan elements to Halloween. Yes, there's some glorification of evil and death and wickedness. But there's also a chance for us to, to look at death and laugh. It's also a chance for us to celebrate life. It's a chance for us to remember those who have gone on before us, to remind ourselves that that death and evil and tragedy are all part of the human experience. All in all, I love Halloween. It's it's one of my favorite holidays, if not my favorite holiday. I like all the parts of it. I love the candy. I love the changing of the seasons. I love dressing up. I love eating some candy. <laughs> so listen, go out and have some fun, right? Life is too short. Go out and have some fun. Dress up, eat some candy, and spread some holy mischief, y'all. Uh, after a pandemic and you know years of having deaths of all sorts around us, deaths in uh, in people we know, deaths in relationships, deaths in careers, deaths in whatever it is, this has been a season of deaths all around us, and so maybe we need some time to laugh in the face of it, and to be reminded of our own mortality. Happy Halloween.